This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com provides a fast and easy way to find and hire skilled local professionals. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. It's Monday, February 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Hey, hey. It is a happy Monday. It is. <laughs> You're so happy. If you're a New England Patriots fan, it's a very happy Monday. Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm. I was indifferent to the outcome of the game, really. I mean, I think it's neat to f- see what they're doing and what Brady's done. I mean, it would have been neat to see Atlanta win their first, but either way, it was. Uh, I was on the road all day yesterday, so I listened to the whole game on the radio. Oh wow! Which I, I actually enjoyed. Like, I mean, you know, I, I the announcers could have probably done a better job, but um, I mean, it was fun to kind of try to visualize the game in your mind. Having seen those two teams play all year, and then to to witness it unfold, to hear the outcome, yeah, it was good. I mean, I enjoyed it. We're going to get to the business of the Super Bowl in a little bit, but we got to start with Hasbro. Hasbro shares are having their best day in 21 years, <laughs> up more than 15 percent this morning. Fourth quarter profits absolutely crushed expectations on Wall Street, and they raised their dividend. <laughs> This thing's a monster. I can't wait to go home and tell my girls. Like they own Hasbro shares. Yeah. It's gonna be like, hey guys, guess what? Your Hasbro shares just killed it. They're up like fifteen percent today. And they're gonna look at me and just kind of be like, Hey, that's great. And then they're gonna go like watch TV. What's for dinner? Yeah, exactly. But um, I mean that's that's the goal, right? You just want them to embrace the success and just move on with life. That's what and, investing is. And we can go back a couple of years when we were talking about the Disney Princess deal. Yeah. Hasbro outbidding Mattel for the rights to to produce those toys and everything that goes with it. And you were one of the people sitting in the studio at the time saying, Look, I know they're they're writing a big check to Disney, but this is gonna be big for Hasbro. Yeah, and I mean, I think I said it was back in October. I mean, if there were any questions as to whether that deal was actually working out for them, I think that those questions had been more or less answered back then. Um, and, and I mean, in the face of what has been a very brutal retail season, where it seems like everybody's had a tough go of it, you kind of think there's got to be some bright light out there at the end of the tunnel, right? Um, and, and I think we just found it. I think we found one of the one of the real holiday season winners today. Um, not terribly surprised, and a lot of it does go back, I think, to just that the sort of the the foresight to cut that Disney deal. I mean, it just it's amazingly they got it, and amazingly Mattel let it go. I mean, it's just phenomenal to think about how that played out. Because if I'm if I'm running a business and I, I've got like to me on the outside looking in, that just seems like one of those obvious things you need to do whatever you can to hang on to it. So who knows what happens and why that happened? Um, but I mean, you cannot dismiss the fact these guys grew their top line. Revenue by fourteen percent for the year. So I mean that that to me alone. In I mean this is a market where a lot of questions have been asked as far as growth. Has this thing hit its peak? Is our toys taking on new meaning now? Is do we need to see these companies making major secular shifts in in, in a new direction? And I think Hasbro's done a pretty good job of doing that. And and I think not to be left out of this equation here, the value in smart. Consistent leadership, and Brian Goldner, he's been there since 2008 as the CEO, and and I mean that the results speak for themselves. Yeah, I was just thinking through the timing of this because the timing of the deal 
I think goes back to 2015, kind of like with Costco and their relationship with American Express. The news on that sort of the renegotiation of the renegotiation of that deal happens well before the deal actually expires, and I think it was back in 2015 when Mattel was like, "Yep, when our when our deal with Disney is up in 2016, yeah." We're letting it go, and maybe they weren't doing as good a job exploiting the value in that relationship. That's true. I, mean, I, sh- I shouldn't, yeah, I well, shouldn't paint I mean, it with that broad a brush. I, w- I will go to the other side of the coin there, and though, and say that, I mean, if you're if you're leading one of these businesses, you have to be very well aware of the fact that your success, much of your success, is dictated by hitching your wagon to to the brightest stars out there in in the IP and the content world. And I mean that's that's the easiest opportunity for Mattel and Hasbro to perform well. And so on on Hasbro's side, I mean they obviously continue to do very well with Disney Princesses and Star Wars. But then you look to 2017 and all the releases coming out with Disney's Beauty and the Beast. You've got Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy volume. There's a Spider-Man movie. There's uh, Thor movie. I mean, there are just all sorts of reasons to continue to be optimistic about where these guys are going, because it seems like leadership was so um, smart in identifying that crucial opportunity in leveraging your success to the success of others uh, in in that market. By the way, did you see the the story in the journal that? Uh Bob Iger might be sticking around a little bit longer at Disney because he is the, the clock is ticking and he's allegedly until further notice that what 2018 was the initial date 16 months yeah until further notice he's walking out the door in 16 months and word on the street is that well maybe maybe he'll stick around a little bit longer which I, I, think I wouldn't he, complain about that. I think he should I don't even I don't even look at it in terms of He's leaving in 16 months. I look at it in terms of Bob Iger probably has six months, maybe eight, before the successor gets named. Yeah. I I don't think you just hand it off to someone and leave a month later. I really think they're going to. And you, you look at what Howard Schultz did with his successor at Starbucks. Give everybody time to realize that this is going to be the next person in the corner office. I mean, that just makes good sense. So, yeah, I don't look at it as, oh, it's going to be sometime in 2018. It's like, no, I think sometime by this summer, we better get a name or we're going to hear that he is extending. It's a really important transition of power. I mean, that is one where they need to get this right. Um, I mean, for all of Disney's strengths, I mean, there are, there are certainly Understandable question marks on the ESPN side, um, and sort of the changing face of of media content distribution, and for everything that Iger has done really well, and he's set that company up for a lot of success going forward. I, you know, it's not it's not a situation where anybody can just step in and assume the role and just keep on being successful. And and it it's not you you really need to identify the right person. I mean, I think you look at something like McDonald's for example, and I think it was Don Thompson that stepped in from the COO role, and on the surface that seemed like the right call. And a year later, it really it really seemed like it was not. Um, Disney is just a really big company with a lot going on, um, but for everything that Bob Iger has done very well, you can't rest on your laurels, right? I mean, you got to utilize that platform and the, and, and the resources to continue to grow and and uh, try to find out what the future holds. So this is going to be a very important decision whenever it happens. 
We are in the thick of earnings season, but on Friday, we got a little gift, a non-earnings <laughs> gift in the form of Snap filing their S-1. This is the official documentation to go public. This is the, hey, we've been a private company for years, and now we're opening up our books, and now we all get to see how Snap has been doing on the revenue side, how they've been doing on the marketing side. You've been pretty openly bearish about the Snap IPO. Now that you've had a chance to look at the S1, are you rethinking that? No. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> and we're done. I'm not, I, I feel like I went in, I mean, I always try to keep an open mind. I mean, I went in with some sort of skepticism, I guess, in thinking, I, I just, I, I, I don't know what, I mean, it really kind of all boils down to the valuation for me, first and foremost. I mean, it's, I think that Snap could have a very bright future indeed. I mean, let's just not neglect the lessons we've learned from the social examples that we've, we've had thus far leading into this IPO. We've got a lot of examples of things that were done well versus things that were not done well. And so, and so I think with, with Snap, it's all about what does the future hold. And for me, like when I look at that business and I think with that size user base, which I mean, it's, it's big, but it's not that big. Um, Losing money hand over fist, and and I mean, listen, man, it's a niche social losing money, and now they want to reinvent hardware. I mean, hardware, <laughs> Chris. That's not good. I I I don't. That's not good. Um, I mean, they've identified themselves as a camera company. I just find that to be very odd. I I mean, it maybe it works out, but typically with those types of things, I mean, hardware ends up being a race to the bottom. Now, I agree that they need to become more than just the Snapchat app. Um, I'm not a user of it. I find it, I I fiddle around with it for a couple of reasons here and there. I found it very difficult to understand and use, and even I couldn't find out really the core purposes of why I would use it. And so I think that for any of these platforms, it's making sure you find out the core purpose why you exist, and then you can grow from there. Um, I'm not convinced that they have that core purpose that can grow such a meaningful user base over time that warrants that kind of adjust uh, that, that kind of evaluation at IPO. With that said, I mean you've also got a founder in Evan Spiegel who has a pretty good reputation as an innovator and a thinker, and, and uh, I. I I say visionary. I don't know. I mean, I just I feel like visionary is one of those words that's thrown around a lot today, and just we don't quite give it enough uh, thought before we say it. But um, there are a lot of reasons why they could succeed. I think there are plenty of reasons uh, here to reasonably say, "Good luck," but I, I don't want to have anything to do with this idea. Not with my money. No, not with my money. Here's one way he's visionary. I believe this is the first IPO. That will issue only non-voting shares. Yeah, and we've seen companies like Alphabet and Under Armour. We've we've seen any number of companies that uh, we admire as investors. And if you're a shareholder, to varying degrees, you've probably done pretty well with them. They haven't done it right out of the gate. They've you know we've seen these companies say, okay, we're issuing some new shares. These are going to be non-voting shares. So just as we say about Kevin Plank at Under Armour, you know, any one of these leaders where we say, well, you're you're betting on leadership with this company because you don't really get a vote. That is the truth, and then some with with uh, with Evan and his little company because yeah. 
right out of the gate they're doing this. Yeah, and it's you know I mean having three classes of shares which are open to the owners, the founders, and then open to the venture capital that help them get their start, and then you know giving giving the IPO shares which are just an economic interest alone. I mean I I, I do understand the thinking behind that. I mean if I were if I were Evan Spiegel, I would be very protective of the business that I had built up to this point. And I want to make sure that I have control of it. I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I don't know that I like necessarily some of the things that I read in the in the filing. I mean, he gets like an extra three percent of restricted shares after the IPO, and I think the quote in the actual document was to stay motivated. And I, I feel like, I mean, really, like, I mean, you got motivation is just there, man. I mean, like, you should be totally motivated to go to work every day because you built a kick-ass business that's making so much money and, and has these users. So, I mean, does it really require you three percent? I mean, that just need a little extra kick seems, in the butt in the morning. Is that it? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, so I mean, I see little things like that. I mean, I I I, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt here, and I mean, I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt too. I'm not calling. I'm not saying this will be a failed IPO or a failed business. I mean, I actually think the opposite. I think it could be an extremely successful business. You just there's a perception out there as a public company that they're going to need to make sure they they uh, I think groom a a good sort of presence on the corporate governance side. I think that can go a really really long way. Um, I think that Mark Zuckerberg is a good example of someone you went in with a lot of questions. He uh, solicited input and got a lot of guidance from a lot of people who had been around the block, and and I think consequently he is he's a great example of of someone who's done it right. I think he's he's uh, made it easy to like him, and and I think that uh, Evan Spiegel would probably do well to to take some of of those lessons and and try to do the same thing. Before we get to our final story, I got to say a word about Thumbtack.com. New new sponsor. Gotta love it. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list, and there's no cost to search. Thumbtack has pros offering more than 1,100 different services nationwide for your home, for events, anything in between. It's tax season. You need a tax preparer? You can go to Thumbtack.com. you got a big event. You're looking for a personal trainer. Ron Gross, our colleague Ron Gross, turned to Thumbtack when he was looking for guitar lessons. Yeah. So, all you do is you submit a request. It's quick, simple, and free. You just answer a few questions about what you're looking for. And then, after you submit your request, local professionals will send you custom quotes for your project. And each quote includes their price estimate, their business profile, verified customer reviews, and a personalized message. So, go to Thumbtack.com to find and hire local skilled professionals for just about anything you need. That's Thumbtack.com. I feel like we take that just to the next level. And at some point this year, we have to bring Ron into the studio and let him pick a tune for I was just going to say, I mean, and not put him on mic. Come just on. sit him in the corner <laughs> playing say, his guitar. This is what you get when you <laughs> consult when Thumbtack. You, when you get a skilled professional, you get uh, you get some lovely background music provided by Ron Gross. Infinite upside. All right. The big game last night. You're happy. No, I'm happy with the outcome. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the commercials and... It's something we talked a little bit about over the last few weeks, and the the amount of money that goes into these ads, and it's not just ponying up five million dollars for a thirty second spot, but the money that you pay to produce that ad. And now you you start to read these stories about how companies are 
spending for the time, they're spending for the creative ad, and then they're spending, in some cases, upwards of another 25-30% of that $5 million just on added promotion. Yep. On getting the word out because there are so many distractions. They they can't just rely on people seeing their ad during the game. They got to make sure people see it on their Facebook page, on Twitter, everywhere, etc. And like we saw with uh, what was it, Taco Bell? Taco Bell being very successful with their advertising on the Super Bowl for the last decade or so, and then just saying, you know what, we're not doing it. Yeah, I mean, I was reading Taco Bell, Doritos, companies that have been been known for creating funny, yeah, Doritos, amusing, entertaining ads. Taco Bell walked away, but um, Doritos was the one that actually had a, a, even more success. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm. John Hine is going to love this one. I am, I am. I mean, I think that Super Bowl commercials have jumped the shark. I think they jumped the shark actually a little while ago. Um, but to me, this has. It used to be very fun. It was clever. It was kind of you looked forward to it. it. It was it was a time ago, I think, when perhaps even distribution was just a little bit different. I mean, the second screen phenomenon has really taken hold here over the past few years, and I think that has something to do with it. I think the distribution has something to do with it here, in that we are watching things differently. And um, if you're watching the game on TV, well, chances are you're also fiddling around on your phone in the process. And and so for me, like the Super Bowl commercials now, they have to come out early. You you can see them before the game. You can go back and search them on the internet and find them wherever you want. And so like for someone like me, I was I was actually in the car on the way home last night. I didn't get to see those commercials during the game, but I had seen a lot of them leading into the game because some of them were made available, and you see some of them after the game. Um, to me, like I, there's just not that none of them really stand out. I I mean I just. I think, to me, honestly, we talk about Hasbro and how Hasbro's done a good job of of sort of hitching their success to other successful IP out there. I think that the potential that some of these commercials hold beyond the actual commercial is pretty fascinating. And I'll give you an example. On Twitter last night, the Wyoming Minnesota Police Department. I mean, whoever. Wait a minute! It's a town in Minnesota yeah, called, called Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay. Whoever whoever did this seriously. Twitter Hall of Fame right here. This is just good stuff. Because the tweet reads, If you drive drunk tonight, we're going to subject you to that Justin Bieber T-Mobile Super Bowl <laughs> commercial the entire way to jail. <laughs> I mean, so they took nice. what was, I thought, a pretty lame commercial. I mean, in every capacity, I saw that commercial. I thought it was stupid. But they took that commercial and absolutely made something out of it. To the benefit of, of them, and I think, obviously, a very good message, it, so I, I think that the, I think that's where the value in Super Bowl commercials lies these days. It's actually what people can do with them, sort of that next step. Because I, I find it hard to understand how companies necessarily feel like they need to justify. And perhaps that was the thinking behind Doritos. It was just like, hey, listen, man, if you don't know what Doritos are at this point, I mean, I don't know that a Super Bowl commercial is going to help. Well, and I think they just look at it in terms of okay, we can spend five million dollars. Let's just round up and and say that it's another maybe six million when you figure what it's going to cost to produce the ad and added distribution. We can take that six million. We can spend it in other ways. Oh, there are many. How many, many more ways people can we? It. You know, we can take that six million and just spend it all on Facebook or Google AdWords. Easily. I I do think that we're going to see a continuation of this trend that has happened over the last couple of decades. Where it's going to be, I think, increasingly rare. It's certainly rarer now, and I think it will continue. 
it's going to be increasingly rare to see small companies advertising. You go back 15 years, 20 years, you had a lot of startup companies saying, "You know what? We're going to we're going to make a splash and we're going to we're going to get some attention this way." I think we are kind of at the point now where the ad may be creative, the ad may get your attention and and make you feel good about whatever that product is, but I don't think you're going to see an ad where you think, "What is this? I've never heard of this before." I think that Google and certainly Google has money to spend. Google, I thought they did a great job with their Google Home ad. I thought that in terms of that device, they they are playing catch up to the Amazon Echo. And I thought they did a good job with that. On the flip side, Procter and Gamble, they got a lot of money to spend and that that Mr. Clean ad, holy uh, cow. That was just brutal. I, don't, I, don't I mean, know. I saw it. I'm just like, what? That just it just is brutal on so many levels. And and yeah, I mean, like you just wonder at some point, like the car commercials, like that one bleeds into another, and at, at the end of the evening, it's like I don't even know what car was what and who was advertising. I mean, it just because they all bleed together. So I mean, like linear TV is proving itself to not be the biggest value add that perhaps it once was. And I mean, the ratings for this game were actually down for the past couple of years. So yeah, I mean, to your point, I feel like there are ways that a lot of these companies can spend their money. More wisely because you're ultimately paying for that one little window of time on linear television. And I mean, that's pretty impossible to measure by today's standards when you have uh, distribution via internet like we have. So I just I feel like the bright marketers out there are figuring out ways to completely sidestep the Super Bowl commercial and not be a part of it because there's no reason. To really be a part of it at this point, Fox had the Super Bowl this year. Uh, CBS had it last year. I assume NBC will have it next year. Wh- whoever has it next year, I think it's going to be interesting to see where the bidding begins for the ads because it wouldn't surprise me at all, given what you just said about the ratings. It wouldn't surprise me at all if a 30 second ad we saw no increase. It just remained flat year yeah. over year. One of the most valuable life lessons at the end of the day, economics rule. Where there's supply, where there's demand, that'll dictate how it all shakes out. And I mean, at some point, I mean, if those ratings are falling, then I mean, they just are not going to garner the same kind of prices that they have uh, been pulling in the past couple of years. Jason Moser, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.